Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast, where we explore the life and times of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur and delve into the history of World War I, World War II, and the Korean War. Today we're here to talk with Dr. Rick Mikesell about the great Philippine General Vicente Lim, first Philippine graduate of West Point, and Dr. Mikesell's book, Frustrated Ambition. Now, Dr. Mikesell, Lim really grew up in a period of upheaval in the Philippines, and can you set the stage for us in that sense? Yeah, uh, Vicente Lim was uh, born in uh, Calamba, a major town in uh, Laguna Province, south of Manila, in 1888. So he came of age uh, during the Philippine Revolution, the fighting against Spain, and then the uh, the war against the Americans. So that that was his his childhood. It's hard to see what the impact of that was on his life and thinking because uh, he also went to school to Liceo de Manila in, in 1900, you know, mm-hmm. during the war, and, uh, and then to the Philippine Normal School. So he, despite the, the tumultuous era, he seemed to have, have had some, some normal as well Normalcy, as... Normalcy, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, now, in this book, where you talk, um, you know, it's, it's a history of the limb, but it's also a history of, of the creation of the Philippine military and its early roots, um, at least for the American creation of Philippine uh, Army. And uh, we talk about the Maccabee Scouts. Now, these are the first real scouts that the Americans trust. And can you tell us about, about the Maccabees? When the Army goes to the Philippines, it becomes clear that one of the big challenges in the Philippines is not so much the Philippine Army, Aguinaldo, General Aguinaldo's This Philippine is 1899, Army, yeah. In, in 18, well, it goes in 1898, of course, yeah. and then the war breaks out in February 1899. It's, it's the terrain, it's the temperature. A, a, a high percentage of those who are casualties in that war are not casualties of fighting per se. They're not, they're not killed or wounded in battle. They're casualties of, of the climate, of the terrain. And so in that environment, it, uh, I think it occurred to a lot of officers that they could uh, bring on uh, Filipino soldiers. And some already existed, these uh, Maccabee who had served uh, in the Spanish army. Now, why were they so aligned with Spain? Still, well, I I can't I can't say with authority. But I read the authorities, and everyone agrees that for some reason they seem to be especially loyal and remained loyal to the Spanish government when, when all the other native troops that had been raised had had uh, had gone over had had revolted. But for some some unknown reason, they were determined to be loyal to Spain. It, it might have been a, a reflection of their probably a reflection of their hostility. Supposedly, they're of some foreign origin. They trace their roots to to mm-hmm. Mexico and and hostility, ethnic based hostility. Oh, that the Maccabees trace their origins yeah, to Mexico. Wow, it's a story you hear. I don't right. know if it's been authenticated or not. But uh, I, as I say in in the the Lim biography, um, John Foreman, who was an Englishman living in the Philippines. Uh, because he had traveled in the Philippines and could write about uh, Filipino uh, things, he became seen as an authority by Americans because you know, they don't know really know what they're doing. They don't have a background there. And he writes in, in one of his books that I, I went up to, to uh, where the Maccabees are from and 
it's clear they hate all the others. Wow. But, but no one seems to know why, why. What, what, what the reason for this is. Now, does the, does the creation of the, the Maccabee Scouts, does that just lead into the creation of the Philippine Scouts as well? Yeah, there's a direct correlation, of course. The, uh, the uh, army begins to recruit, usually under, under the, uh, because of the ambition of the sort of entrepreneurial officers who are looking to promote themselves and, and do find resources to help the army out, uh, like Batson, the, the founder of, the, of that scout unit. The realization that there are, are Filipinos who are willing to fight for the United States for, for whatever reason, if they're strictly mercenary, or uh, I suspect uh, more there is some existing animosity between this group and the, the, the group that supports the, the Philippine army. And so they're willing to take the other side mm-hmm. to help the Americans. It's all kind of informal. They're technically, I think, employees of the quartermaster. So, so that's a funding agency for them. Okay. Not, not until 1901 is, 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 does the Army, does the War Department say, okay, we're going to formally, officially recruit these Filipinos into our army in the Philippines, and, and that organization shall be known as the Philippine Scouts. Now, uh, during the Philippine-American War, Douglas MacArthur's father was uh, head of 8th Army Corps, later on military uh, governor of right, the Philippines. Sure. What does he think, do you, or do you know what on, he thought the, of using... With the limited information I, I have on General Arthur MacArthur, uh, his attitude toward the use of native troops, he appeared to have been against it. Mm. But uh, there's a need, there's pressure from above, there's the recommendation of other officers whose opinions he respects, and so he, he goes along you know, authorizing. We're just talking about a few company of men right. at that time. Now, uh, when the U.S. establishes itself in the islands and takes control, it allows, or they come up with a, an allowance for Filipinos to attend West Point. Now, tell us about the idea for these Filipino ex- examinations and this opportunity to attend, and who was really sponsoring this? Yeah, as far as I know, uh, that, that is an entirely the uh, idea of, of the first civil governor, William Howard Taft, uh, that he... As you know, he and the Army had a somewhat tempestuous relationship, and uh, I think this was probably a way that that he was going to teach the Army a lesson. Filipinos were going to be allowed to go to West Point. Filipinos were going to be allowed to be officers in the Philippine Scouts, whether the Army really liked it or not. Do we know what West Point thought when Taft Well, the limited, the limited uh, information we have is, is that the Army was not outspokenly opposed to the idea, but its idea of, of officers for the Philippine Scouts was promotion from within. Men who had shown themselves as being loyal had participated on our side against the Philippine Army. If, they, if we have a need and they seem to be qualified, they can become junior officers, lieutenants is, is all we're talking about at this time. Uh, and uh, Taft said, no, we, we're looking to have a professional army. What, what do professional officers in our army do? They, they go to West Point. They get, they get uh, commissioned through West Point. So that's what Filipinos will do as well. Lim is the first Filipino to graduate from West Point. But were there others that got selected before him to go? 
to the academy? Well, he's, he's the first to attend the academy, okay. and and then to and and he continued successfully the course of instruction. Um, I, I wanted to make a distinction, though. There's the Philippine Scouts, and there's the way in which uh, it evolved. Lim and those men going to West Point, they don't really have anything to do with the Philippine Scouts. You know, they, they haven't been associated with the Scouts, they haven't served in the Scouts. Uh, their motivations for wanting to become professional military officers are, are not the same as those enlisted men in the Scouts. And this is, I think, why the Army, you know, was not really supportive. But once Taft said, yes, this is what we're going to do, and once Congress passed a law authorizing the attendance of, of Filipinos at West Point, then, you know, then, of course, the Army falls in line. What was Lim's experience at West Point? By, by all accounts, uh, a positive one. That is to say, uh, in, a, in a racial area, a time when to be an African-American, say, cadet, you know, uh, was, was problematic, to say the least, that Filipino cadets did not suffer that kind of ostracism. Um, of course, it would have been difficult. He was not a fluent English speaker. He was well enough educated by the standards of the day, I think, um, both in the Philippines and, and in the United States. So in that sense, he, he wasn't out of his league in any way. But, but of course, he didn't speak fluent English. He was a foreigner. Uh, he was not white. Does he have other Filipinos with him? Not at the time. No. He's the first... He, he was not the lead candidate, but apparently the lead candidate didn't pass the physical exam. And so Lim is allowed to go, uh, is chosen. And as I say in the book, probably he was a little bit too old mm. for academy regulation. But there's been this lengthy, time-consuming process. He shows up at the academy like he's supposed to. And, oh, wait a minute, he's one week too old to be at the academy, so they just changed the date at that at that point. But the law was that there would be one for each year, so there can't be a second candidate until Lim has been there one year. Okay. And then there's a second candidate. The third year, there's a third candidate. The fourth year, there's a fourth candidate. He leaves at that point. He graduates, yeah. but from there on, there are you know one several... Uh, in each class. And from graduation, you, as a Filipino, you go to the Philippine Scouts. Your commission by law, your commission was in the Philippine Scouts. That's why if you look in the Army Register, their, their dates of rank and promotions are always in italics because that indicates non-federal service. Mm. But he doesn't find that limb, I'm talking about, doesn't find service with the scouts very fulfilling, does he? No, it? not at all, not at all. I mean, it, in those days when he reports for duty at uh, Fort San Pedro in Iloilo, the Philippine scouts are still sort of uh, infantry auxiliaries to the Army. It, it predates the period when we have the regiments of Philippine scouts that are going to be at uh, Stotzenberg, for example, or, or Fort McKinley. So, so it's isolated, it's... Uh, it's fairly routine, it's boring, and he has great ambition to, yeah. to go places, to make a name for himself. You're not going to make a name for yourself being a company officer at Fort San Pedro, serving with a Philippine scout company. And when World War One comes along, he really wants to be in Europe, doesn't he? Right, he tries to get a... Well, he is in Europe, in fact, right? He's, he's gotten out of... He's graduated from the academy, and he's traveling back to the Philippines via Europe. So he is there... Uh, probably in Russia mm. uh, in August 1914. Really? You think yeah. he was there at that time? Well, the, the, some people say he was in Germany 
at the time. Wow. But I, uh, but others say Russia, and I think given the challenges of traveling, it's more likely he was in Russia and simply continued on to the Philippines via uh, the Trans-Siberian Railroad. But during the war, he tries to get to be an right. observer over there or right. to get so, so stationed he's like, there? He's like everyone, every Army officer, or most of them in the Philippines. They're, 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 they're frustrated at being where the action is not, right? As I mentioned in talking about Stotzenberg, the, uh, uh, the book Too Many Boats, which is about uh, the angry, bored, frustrated officers at Stotzenberg. The war is on, they're stuck at Stotzenberg. I'm at the same attitude. How do I get over there? Well, the Philippine scouts aren't being sent over there, so how do I, as a Philippine scout officer, get over there? How about a military observer position? But and some in the Philippines, Americans and Philippines are thinking about a National Guard unit, aren't they? At, this, at the very, even before uh, America's entry into the war, there's incredible enthusiasm amongst uh, certain Americans and some Filipinos for, for uh, creating a National Guard division that, that can be offered to the United States for, for service outside the Philippines. You read about the, the, the documents describing the Guard today and you wonder what some of these ideas just seem so fantastic. Did they really think uh, that uh, the American army was going to transport them to, to, to Europe? And, and some thought, well, okay, probably they wouldn't. But maybe the French army could leave Indochina and we could go occupy, be the occupant, you know, something different, exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, some of these ideas were so fantastic. Of course, nothing, nothing came of it. It was just another venue. To, and the governor general, he thought he was going to be... The general did says, Yeah, well, he he uh, he had been in the army back during the Philippine American War and the, I guess the Spanish American War, and so yeah, he was very gung ho. He was going to be the major general commanding. Uh, but everybody in the army is the army hated. Him. <laughs> the, the, you're you're most familiar with Roosevelt wanting to to do a Rough Rider sort of division in World War One and the Army Wilson saying no, but. But that sort of uh, entrepreneurial spirit, let's you know, get me and my friends together and let's go off to war. The, the Army was putting a stop to that. You know, we're not going to do that anymore. We know Americans have done that. And they're not going to tolerate it in the States, and they're not going to tolerate it in the Philippines mm -hmm. either. So there's never a chance. In addition to the fact that the Army, the army officers personally hated uh, Francis Burton Harrison. Well, Lim is frustrated because he you know, doesn't get over there, but yet in the 20s he starts attending all the service schools in yeah. the States. Yeah, there were changes in the law involving Philippine scout officers that allowed them to be promoted uh, uh, beyond lieutenant and captain and to go to, to schools in the States, and no one was more successful at uh, attending those schools, the most prestigious schools, so it really positioned him to be the, the leading Filipino military officer by the end of the 1920s. But he's frustrated in a lot of this. When, uh, like, he, he wants to be head of constabulary. He's got, has the plans for the National Defense Bill with that guy Sandoval. Yeah. So he's... His he's, brother-in-law, yeah. Yeah, he's really trying to end that frustrated ambition. Yeah, I, I think this was one of the most remarkable uh, findings, uh, arguments in the book was that uh, Lim had positioned himself to be the leading soldier, the, the voice of all military matters. And then K-Zone invites Douglas MacArthur to be the military advisor to the Philippines. And that's probably one of the reasons to put a stop to Lim's ambitions. Lim, now, why is K-Zone so... Um... Well, he, he, I don't... 
he, he and Lim were not simpatico. Mm -hmm. uh, they're very different personalities. Um, Lim could be quite explosive, can he? Yeah, he, he was known for having a temper. And um, so, so I, and he was, was pushing for these ideas that would, and the adoption of laws that would, would give him an important position in a new Philippine uh, government, a new Philippine, and the creation of new Philippine military forces. He was not the only one. There, there were other uh, people who wanted to, to have a significant say, old revolutionary generals, uh, this organization I didn't mention in the book because you can only say so much and this part was cut out. Another uh, powerful organization, the National Volunteers, all these, the, the Philippine Constabulary had its own officers who were looking to, to become more important in an independent Philippine. So all of these voices and, and K-Zone you know, puts a stop to them by inviting Douglas Bring MacArthur. They, they, can't, they can't match Douglas MacArthur's stature and prestige. Now, Lim is pretty upset about that. Yes, very But much yet, so. when, when MacArthur's recalled 4041, he knows that they're going to need officers. Yeah, I'd, I'd say in, in the late 30s, um, Lim is at the forefront. I, I found that document in the, uh, it come from the, the British Public Records Office, uh, an un unused resource of what the British consul is telling the British government that he is hearing from American officers in the Philippines. And, and one of them is that there's opposition to MacArthur's presence there. Lim is at the forefront of that opposition. So Lim is pushing to get rid of MacArthur, but then when the U.S. starts to get interested in the Philippines again in 4041, Lim realizes they're going to, to show that interest through the person of Douglas MacArthur. So I'm going to get back on board. Mm. And uh, so when MacArthur is recalled to active duty in 41, you know, Lim is very pleased about that, and Lim is in a position to, to now benefit from that. That was a big difference between Grunert and MacArthur. Grunert is, seems to be moving into MacArthur's position, becoming influential, taking over. But Grunert's interested in how can I most effectively and rapidly create uh, an effective military force? Well, Filipinos are good soldiers under American officers. Where does that leave Lim? He's a Philippine general. Grunert doesn't have any plan for Philippine colonels or generals. But when MacArthur takes over, he has uh, sees the political aspects of mobilizing Filipino military forces. We need to involve all Filipinos. We need Filipino. Okay, maybe they're not as good. Maybe it'll take longer to train the army. But it's it's uh, the, the political necessity to involve Filipinos, and that created an opportunity for Lim that he would not have had had Grunert actually stayed in command. When Gruner just start talking about the absorption of the Philippine Army and defense of the Philippines, um, MacArthur is in a way almost at the outer Correct. Yeah. I think rim he's, he's, of the universe. He's ignored by everyone, isn't correct, he? Yeah. And you talk about this, um, well, kind of like a, not a fun drive, but you know, a momentum drive that they have at the Capitol Theater that Gruner holds, oh, right. and Admiral Hart is there, head of the Asiatic Fleet. Do they even invite MacArthur to that? Uh, I, I don't know. You, you would have to assume that he was invited. Yeah. But by then, you know, he's, as you say, he's been marginalized, he's isolated, he's angry, he's, you know, if, you're, if I'm not going to be in charge, I'm not going to participate. And he knows that if he shows up, he's, he's second banana, right? I mean, he's a retired officer. Gruner has, has taken over. 
Now, the the one thing that I really thought was great was in the book where you talk about Kazon and Gruner are now working Correct. together, and they're gonna they're doing their own thing, and all of a sudden. Out of the blue, here comes Roosevelt. Guess what? Here's MacArthur yeah, back I, in the I, mix. I hadn't realized that until I, I did that research that uh, he wasn't he wasn't even told, let alone asked. Right? He thinks he's an important player, and and people assume he's an important player. But then I found that uh, dismissive statement about him in, in one of Roy Howard's diaries about no oh, one cares about senior case only. <laughs> You know, and unfortunately, that was the reality, that, that they didn't need him, they didn't really care what he thought, and they federalized the Philippine army, or that part that's going to be used anyway, and they recalled Douglas MacArthur to active duty, they created a new command in Manila, put MacArthur at the head of it, and they don't even bother to ask President Quezon, let, let alone, you know, even t- they don't tell him, they don't ask him. Right. Well, the war comes. And Lim is the commander of the 41st Division. And when they go back into Bataan, there's been a lot said about Lim's command, um, but there's the reality of Lim's command. How do you see him as a commander on Bataan? Well, this was the the greatest challenge in writing the book and even deciding to write about Lim. Because as you know, uh, a lot of negative things have been said about the performance of the Philippine Army on, on Bataan. And typically, historians just sort of talk past one another on this. You know, you just ignore that it was said, or you just repeat it without comment. But if you're going to appreciate or, uh, what Lim's role was, I, I thought you have to address this. You have to say, here's what people are saying. Why do they say it? And and how do we push it aside and get to what Lim is really doing on Bataan, and whether whether he's doing something that's worth writing about. And so, uh, somewhat reluctantly, but uh, but I felt I didn't have a choice. I had to address the, the what is said about the Philippine Army. You know, most infamously, General Bloom will say, right. "All they want to do is is uh, is jump up and salute and demand three meals a day." Well, that is repeated by Morton in the Army's official history. But if you just give it a moment's thought, you can realize you'll realize it, it cannot literally be true. Okay, there can be a, some Filipino soldiers who said that, but there, there are thousands of Filipino soldiers. They don't all do nothing but salute and demand three meals a day. So, so why did he say that? You know, why did Blumel say that? Why did Morton think it was okay to repeat it? Why, why, when the army reviewed the manuscript, all those manuscripts are reviewed, the reviews, the comments, they're all found in the National Archives today. Why did they not take exception to that? Why did they think it was okay? And that's, you have to answer those questions to then have something to say about Filipino officers and their role on baton, what they could and could not do, what the perception of them was by their American superiors. And that's, that's why I, I title one of those, uh, one chapter in the book, I think it's his, his division, hmm. his command. He understood that there's the Japanese to the front. There's American criticism of, of Filipino leadership to the rear, rear. You know, how do I how do I deal with that? How do I be an effective officer given you know his own limitations? He hadn't been in the field for a long time. He was not in the best of health. Uh, he did retire from the U.S. Army on disability, after all. Mm. Uh, so so he's got those personal challenges, and he's got the larger challenge of dealing with American assumptions about Filipino leadership and, 
And I thought that was the real contribution to the understanding of Bataan um, by looking at it through the lens of Lim's, Lim's career. His division gets destroyed. He becomes a prisoner and eventually is let go. But whereas most of those Philippine generals are forced or seem to work with the Japanese occupation forces, Lim does not. How does he get away with not doing it? Well, partly he, he got away with it by pleading poor health, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, getting his doctor to right, embellish medical reports. Like saying, Manuel Rojas. Yeah, yeah, like the same thing. Rojas, others were doing it. Uh, and then he moved into the cancer ward, the Philippine General Hospital, and feigned to be more ill than he really was. So, you know, he was in an untenable position. He was the most best known, the most prestigious of the Filipino officers. He's a captive. The Japanese would very much like like uh, the symbolism of him openly cooperating with them. Um, what what could he do? How could he withstand that? Well, partly it's by pleading poor health. Um, uh, partly he, he could do it. I think he would have appreciated uh, that he could do it because others could not. And so that lessened some of the the pressure on him. But ultimately, he, he refused. And in 1944, he tried to make his way to become he, with the girls. He wanted, he wanted to be, well, he's, he's involved in what we would re, uh, refer to as anti-Japanese, maybe not, uh, not something that would be recognized as, as guerrilla right. by the U.S. Army's guerrilla recognition program after the war. But, but nonetheless, he's involved in anti-Japanese activities. He's, in, he's involved in preparing for a time when uh, the Philippine army can be resurrected and play a part in throwing the Japanese out, freeing the Philippines. But he, but he had to admit that as we move into 1944, just it was nothing much was happening. Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't making progress, and so he determined to leave, probably try to make his way to Australia, and and uh, then play a more active role, an open role in, in the liberation. Would he? Have, it, it's an interesting question whether he would have been allowed to do so because there was uh, hostility, there was suspicion on the part of MacArthur's staff toward those who had surrendered. Rock in a hard place. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's why I thought the title was so apt, mm. that frustrated at every turn. Um, because he gets captured and then tortured and finally murdered yeah, by the Japanese. Yeah, killed by the Japanese. One of the great heroes, do you think, of the yeah, Philippines? Yeah, I, I think so. Well, Dr. Meisel, we appreciate your time. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have questions, suggestions, or comments, we want to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at MacArthur1880, on Facebook as the General Douglas MacArthur Memorial, or you can email amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.